And uh, you're very welcome back to Tip Today. It's time for our global politics segment. As usual, I'm delighted to be joined by a Tipperary politics and economics student, Thomas Conway. Good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning, Fran. And good to see you. I suppose we have to kick off with the US midterm elections. Um, yeah, what should we know about it? Yeah, well, there is an awful lot to know, is the first thing. We, we should remember the second Tuesday in November. It can only mean one thing, the yep. US, a US election. It's often regarded as a referendum on the incumbent president when it occurs in the middle of the two-year terms. And that's where it derives its name from. You have elections to Congress every two years, but when they occur in the middle of a presidential term of office, mm. they're called the midterms. Right. But so, it, it, it rarely works out for the president's party. Rarely works out. Rarely yeah. works out. They generally lose seats. They generally perform poorly in the midterms. And yeah. Joe Biden will be acutely aware of that. But just to, I suppose, outline what's at stake and mm. give an overview. So elections to the US Congress, as I said, takes place every two years. The Congress consists of two chambers, the House of Representatives, which has 435 members, and the Senate with 100 members. Now, representatives to the House actually have to stand for election every two years. So all 435 seats are up for grabs. You know, it's a pretty hectic schedule for just, them. Yeah, yeah uh, it really is. Senators, on the other hand, you have two from every state. They sit for six-year terms. So on this occasion, you have one-third of the seats, slightly more than one-third, 35 Senate seats up for grabs. And it is those Senate seats that will prove particularly interesting, I yes. think, tomorrow. Most of the House contests are relatively predictable. Maybe a few surprises will emerge here and there. But I've decided this morning to focus on a couple of a couple of Senate races which are really drawing huge media attention. Mm. And, and they I, might be some of the names we might know maybe decided upon as well in some cases. Indeed, yeah, indeed. Yeah. And I think the place to start is Pennsylvania mm. because you had... You had three presidents in Pennsylvania campaigning over the weekend. Biden went with Obama to campaign for the Democratic candidate. Trump then, not far away, was at a was at a rally for his endorsed Republican candidate. So the two men, and they're probably the most high-profile men standing for election this time, are 53-year-old Democrat John Fetterman. Quite an intriguing character, six foot eight inches, Harvard graduate. Uh, became a small town, a small town mayor, and he kind of little bit eccentric. Likes to yes. dress in casual attire, you know. Right. No jeans or no suit for him, you know. He'll 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 be fine in a tracksuit bottom. But he actually suffered a stroke a number of months ago. Mm. Now he's since he has since recovered, but his opponent, a celebrity doctor called Mehmet Oz, who used to appear on the Oprah Winfrey Winfrey show, has repeatedly and consistently attacked him due to the state of his health. You know, Oz, Oz maintains that he's not fit to stand for office and it seems to be chiming with voters. I think voters have reservations about Fetterman. Right, it's Polls, very ruthless, isn't it? It's fairly ruthless, yeah. but this is how these things go in the US. You know, it can get quite dirty, you know, at times. Yeah. Dirty tricks being played. Oh, what about a bit more about Oz then? Is it, 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 there's a relationship with Trump there, is there? There is a relationship yeah. with Trump. Yeah, he's positioned himself as a, as a Trump loyalist and Trump has endorsed him. And I suppose that is one of the one of the other subplots to this entire election. You know, if Donald Trump's candidates yes. do well, it will almost certainly energise him. Now, personally speaking, I think regardless of how his candidates perform, Trump will, will run the 2024 so? presidential election. Yeah. I mean, sources from the New York Times and the Washington Post have all indicated November 14th, which is what, this day week, 
he's due to make an announcement. Right. Yeah. Now, he's also supposed to appear bet- uh, before the US Congressional Committee on that day, but, I mean, he's probably busy, you know, uh, <laughs> making his announcement and that. I think so. Well, he did indicate in the speech he gave, was it last week? It was last week last in week. Iowa, yeah, yeah. And, and he kind of, you know, uh, he, he made another reference to it in Pennsylvania over the weekend. So it looks all but certain, but, I mean, certainly if his candidates perform well tomorrow... It will supercharge him. It will right. energize him ahead of that. Uh, ahead of that race. Can we move to Ohio then? Yeah, mm. the 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 very definition of a swing state. Mm. You know, if you want to become the U.S. president, really and truly, you have to win Ohio. But this year, it's playing host to an intriguing electoral battle battle between two candidates for for the Senate. On the Democratic side is a forty nine year old called Tim Ryan. Mm. Now he served ten terms in the House, so you know quite a. Quite an accomplished political operator, but he now wants to move to the Senate. He is up against another eccentric figure, 38-year-old Republican J.D. Vance. Now, people might be familiar with him. He was a venture capitalist investor, essentially a a big-time investor, who achieved widespread fame for his book called Hillbilly Elegy. And that was subsequently turned into a Netflix film. People, I haven't seen it. Apparently, it's quite good. But the the really intriguing thing about this, the almost puzzling thing about this, is that Vance is a former never-Trumper, a staunch, staunch opponent of Donald Trump in the past, who has switched his allegiances in recent times. He's now a dedicated Trump supporter. God so, you know, that's another fascinating subplot. Why he why he chose to endorse Trump, I'm not sure. Did he feel it would, it would give him the best chances electorally? Probably. But he really is an intriguing character. He's slightly ahead of Ryan in the polls at the mm. moment. But that battle is set to go down to the absolute if, wire. If people are thinking they may have heard of Ryan uh, a bit over the time, he, he did go as a candidate, didn't he? Yeah, he stood as an independent yeah. presidential candidate in, in 2020, which, you know, I could hardly remember him. But the Democratic Party have since poached him. Clearly, as I say, 10 terms uh, in the Senate. Clearly an experienced political mm. operator. He knows what he's doing. And the fact that the Republicans have poached him, maybe you're thinking they're future presidential candidate, Indeed. perhaps. Very, Not in 2024, but maybe further down the line. What, what are the issues, Thomas? I mean, what, what are the big issues? Yeah, so the campaigning has been dominated by, I suppose, a lot of the issues which you would expect. Inflation, the rising cost of living, the state of the US economy overall. But there are a number of other things playing on the minds of voters. And as a result of the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe versus Wade, the abortion ruling during the summer, that has actually energised the Democratic Party. They've chosen to focus that issue, chosen to kind of frame their campaigns around protect, protecting reproductive health care, protecting reproductive rights. And it has actually probably benefited them electorally. Now, the Republicans, on the other hand, have been focused on the big economic issues, things like tackling China, other things like that. Democrats, though, at the same time, are looking at things such as gun control, voting rights, and that is one thing to to finally note. Voting rights are a big thing in this election campaign. There has never been as much interest in who is elected Secretary uh, of State for their respective states. Why, you might ask? Because the Secretary of State is responsible for certifying election results and following everything that happened in 2020 and following Trump's claims and everything, 
that has added significance nowadays. Yes, they're very interesting indeed. Is this an opportunity to vote for um, the governor? Yeah, the there are there are a number of governors up for or, uh, gubernatorial races, as they call them. There are municipal and local elections as well. So there is a massive, massive array of candidates standing for election. It's a big day in the US right. tomorrow. And we've seen a lot of mail-in voting already. Now, Trump hasn't been happy with that. But certain yeah. states really have embraced that. By tomorrow evening, I would say, when the when the exit polls first start to emerge, I would say to listeners, you know, keep an eye on those Senate races right. that, because if the Republicans take the Senate, it uh, could be a major dent to Joe and, Biden. And I was just going to say to you, so, and, and that looks kind of likely, doesn't it? It looks kind of likely, likely okay. you know. So what will that do? to Joe Biden. Then. Well, like it's important to note, Joe Biden has had a number of big legislative successes over the past, you know, 2 years. Yeah. He's passed a number of big spending bills and if Republicans take control of the Senate, doing things like that, measures such as that will be far more difficult if not impossible. So it it will shape the rest of his presidency. Mm. It will shape how it will shape how Congress operates and it will actually impact upon the day-to-day lives of Americans because if the Republicans are in control as I mentioned they'll focus on on specific issues if the Democrats are in control their agenda will be slightly different so this is a really really it's big very, impact very on, on daily life is climate change playing any part in the conversation well it is from a democratic perspective yeah. and obviously we have you know uh, the cop 27 yeah. in, in Sharm el Sheikh taking or kicking off this week from a Democratic perspective, it certainly is, and from Joe Biden's perspective. But then on the Republican side, there are yeah. still a lot of sceptics there. Not all of them, it should be said, not all of them. Some, many have acknowledged the need uh, to tackle, uh, to you know, for radical climate action, and we, sh- we should note that. But certainly, it is more uh, in the Democratic line to, to talk about those issues. Very interesting. Now, a guy, big news indeed for the last while, Mr. Elon uh, Musk. He has finally completed that uh, takeover of Twitter. Where are we now with that? Finally, yeah. yeah. $44 billion it cost him. Uh, it set him back, if you could put it that way. And it was after months of kind of lengthy deliberation, self-procrastination, mm-hmm. Would he purchase it? Would he not? He tried to get out of it. He tried to get out yeah. of it. He stepped back and and then I think Twitter launched a legal case and he eventually decided to purchase the company. And we've had a succession of events over the course of the weekend. Yeah. A lot of Twitter employees, particularly in this country, have effectively lost their jobs now and your heart would go out to him. And I think that just... I think that just captured an element of Elon Musk that we often forget. You know, he's considered a pioneering technological genius. He's kind of a futuristic, a space fanatic, and Mm. he is. But he's also a cutthroat businessman. He is ruthless, and he would not have got to where he is. Who, Who is he, or what is he? Yeah, so really interesting upbringing. Born in Pretoria in South Africa in 1971, he grew up there in the South African capital with his two siblings and his parents, and by his own admission, and I watched a documentary on this quite recently on BBC, he did not have a happy childhood. No. You know, he had quite a distressing and difficult childhood, subjected to various forms of domestic abuse at home by his father, a torrid time in school. In one instance, he was actually pushed down the stairs. He was bullied incessantly and he was pushed down the stairs and had to spend several weeks in hospital as a result. So really, really difficult. He was your quintessential nerd, though, wasn't he? Yeah, he was like that, and he exhibited that intellectual talent from a very early age. 
but he couldn't, you know, he couldn't do enough to get out of South Africa. And eventually, at the age of 17, he did. He departed for Canada. His mother had Canadian citizenship. And it was there that he attended university, Queen's University. He would later attend the University of Pennsylvania, earned a degree in economics and physics. Makes sense when you mm, consider where sure. his business yeah. interests lie. And he then moved to California to study at Stanford, but decided to pursue a business career instead. So, you know, we, we often hear about these tech genius, the likes of Bill Gates, uh, Mark Zuckerberg leaving university. He was going to attend Stanford, but instead he decided he would, you know, he would throw his lot into business and he was eye-wateringly successful. Yeah. So his first web software company, Zip2, it was eventually sold for $307 million. He then went on to stub- establish what's known as a unicorn. Now, a unicorn is a startup company. This is the Silicon Valley, the tech jargon. A unicorn is a startup company which is valued at over $1 billion. And we would come to know that as PayPal, that eventually it eventually um, evolved into PayPal. So prodigious from an early age. Yeah. That led him into, I suppose, his, his signature, uh, his signature mm. companies. In 2002, he made his, foray into, his first foray into space exploration, created SpaceX, an aerospace manufacturer, and he was among the first to invest in a new electric car venture known as Tesla. And of course, we're all very familiar with his story since both have become quite mm. successful. Now, didn't have an easy ride. You know, electric cars were, were far less popular 20 yeah, years ago. For sure. They were almost non-existent 20 years ago. So there were mm. plenty of bumps in the road. But you, you, the guy you described, extremely ruthless, extremely successful businessman, when the devil got is he interested in a platform that is losing money anyway and probably have seen its best years behind it? Yeah, you see, he seems to have kind of painted himself as a global do-gooder. You know, he, right. um, you know, he, he wants to... He's clearly intent on changing the world and in many ways he has. And that is his, his attraction to Twitter. He sees it as a forum of, of free speech, a forum for the global community to interact and was ver- has been very unhappy with Twitter's moderation policies. Yes. The big question, of course, it's still looming. Will he reinstate Donald Trump to the platform? And will and if so, will Trump return? Uh, do, you, do you think he will? Because he's come out and said that he wasn't going to make any changes like that for the moment. Yeah, he's been a bit ambiguous yeah. on that issue, a little bit ambiguous. And, and I think with all that's happened over the past, over the past weekend, it probably isn't at the forefront of his mind. He, he's focused on making the company profitable again. But when you talk about profit, you know, he's the richest man in the world. He has a net worth of $219.3 billion, according to Forbes. Unbelievable. And that's a good distance above the number second. The number two is a French businessman called Bernard Arnault, $150 billion. And Jeff Bezos, 138 billion. Frank Curry is there, I think, fifth. <laughs> just, just there, right? There, thereabouts, as they say. Did he, by his own admission, is he on the the autistic spectrum? Yeah, I, I think I think he had, he has admitted to that. Yeah. Like you know, I mean, he's an idiosyncratic character yeah. anyway. But he has admitted to to being on the uh, the very, autistic very spectrum. He's also, and we should note this, he has a tireless work ethic. You know, yeah. and I saw it in that documentary. I'd recommend. I can't remember the name, but but. 
I recommend people to look it up. You know, works incredibly hard, which is, I suppose, is the way with many of these successful isn't business it, people. Isn't it indeed? Uh, oh, I want to fit in this. I want to make time for this because it has to be one of the great political comebacks. I'm thinking of Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, will you tell us about this? Yeah, another political comeback. No sooner had, had Lula stormed back yes. to the presidency in Brazil than, than Netanyahu had pulled off a comeback of his own. 73-year-old right-wing politician He's still currently on trial for alleged bribery, for fraud, for breach of trust, but it clearly didn't damage his appeal to to the Israeli electorate, that's Mm. for sure. He's going to form a government, essentially his own party, Likud, uh, are going to coalesce with an ultra-nationalist right-wing party called Religious Zionism which is, you know, it's an interesting marriage there. So what can we expect then, a very nationalist view, for instance, particularly where Palestine is concerned? Yeah, we, all you have to do is really is look back at the history and look at how Netanyahu has performed. Yeah. We had, prior to, uh, prior to last week, we had a unity government which had been assembled by the, the former Prime Minister, the caretaker Prime Minister, Yair Lapid. It was kind of a, a diverse constellation of eight different mm. political parties, so a multitude of different Different political and was there parties. a consensus from that government about a kind of a two state, so which is what the Americans? There was. Like, they approached that. Now they could agree on very little. It's worth saying that at times it seemed the only thing they had in agreement was their opposition to Netanyahu. But they did take a softer stance towards Israel Palestine. Uh, they endorsed the notion of a two state solution. Mm. They also improved relations with other Arab states. And it will be particularly interesting to see if Netanyahu maintains that approach right. because there are economic benefits to that. Trump comes into all of our conversations and there is He's a good everywhere. relationship there, isn't there, with Netanyahu? Yeah, he, he gets on quite well with Trump and yeah. he will be hoping that Trump does well. You know, he had quite a poor relationship with Barack Obama. Uh, he rebuked Barack Obama yeah. in front of the US Congress a couple of years ago, much to Obama's disdain. So, you know, his, his relations on the world stage are... You know, he he warms towards certain figures like Trump, which kind of makes sense. Erdogan maybe in Turkey. Yes. Uh, you can see the kind of the the kind of politician that he is, but he is hugely charismatic and he has the common touch. If you watch him operate, that is very very evident. He's a gifted politician. It'd be very interesting indeed. Um, what should we be looking out for? A cop is the big thing. I yeah. Suppose, well, Tishok Mio Martin flying to Egypt to Sharm El Sheikh this morning. He's yeah. going to meet with you know with with climate delegates there. It's going to be very interesting, and I'll talk about it a little bit more next week. Yeah. Like it's billed as a last chance saloon. Now there are various different you know, proposals and theories, whether we will get substantive policy progress Mm. remains to be seen. But there's already huge argument, isn't it? It was delayed, in fact, because... There's already huge argument. And, you know, the prospect of limiting global temperature increases to 1.5 degrees Celsius, I've read a lot of pieces saying that that is just unattainable now. Now, that's not saying there isn't a radical need for climate action. We know we all need to do our best but we may have to moderate our goals and I think that will feature in the discussions in Egypt over the course of the next two weeks. It's going to be very interesting. Of course, the other big discussion is that the poorest countries paying the price for the emissions caused by the richest companies. And the, well, uh, that is it, exactly. Yeah. And particularly island coastal states, you know, are in serious jeopardy. Absolutely, for sure. The migration crisis yeah, as well. Yeah, it's a little bit sad to see this story emerge it, again, yeah. but it, it is, you know, it is emerging in Europe we're seeing arrivals peak uh, at a level not seen since the the heights of the migration crisis in 2015, which is a very, very worrying situation. You know, certain countries' processing systems are under serious strain. 
EU politicians and dis- diplomats are scrambling desperately to address the situation. So it really is quite worrying. In recent times, we've been hearing an awful lot about how Germany were so reliant on Russia. But I was interested to read in your notes uh, that they have quite a reliance on China as well. Quite a reliance on China. And Chancellor Olaf Scholz was in Beijing last week with President Xi Jinping. And many in Europe, many European politicians ha- have been watching and observing this situation with a little bit of caution um, and a little bit of scepticism because Germany is hugely reliant on China as a source of inputs, uh, imports. And the worry there is that they will repeat the mistakes that they made in relation in Russia. to Russia in the yeah. context of energy. So you have to look at, I mean, Angela Merkel, obviously an incredible politician, but there were definitely policy mistakes in the German government over the course of the past decade. How they became so reliant on Russia on the one hand, on mm. China on the other. And now it's all coming home to And roots. now it's all coming home. And now it's all coming home. So yes. tough times ahead for, Ch- T- for Schultz. Tough times ahead indeed. So you will look at COP27 for his next, uh, next I time will out, indeed. Thomas, all right. Really good to talk to you, Thomas, as always. Thanks, Thank Fran. you very much indeed. News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.